0: and welcome to the Oxford Policy Pod. I'm your host, Livy Bia. This week, we're diving into one of the biggest policy challenges that humanity has ever set out for itself, achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. In September 2015, leaders from around the world gathered in New York at the United Nations General Assembly and committed to an ambitious global agenda, setting forth 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. If achieved, these policy goals would represent incredible advances in human well being globally. From the social, such as ending poverty and hunger everywhere on Earth, achieving gender equality and ensuring everyone has access to quality education, water, and sanitation, to environmental successes, including taking urgent action on climate change and halting and reversing biodiversity loss. Unfortunately, the most recent report from the UN Economic and Social Council shows that the world is not on track to meet these targets by the 2030 deadline. This episode of the Oxford Policy Pod will explore the progress and delays experienced since the UN adopted the SDGs and will seek to understand what it will take to reach these goals on time. We also will take a broader look at the merits and shortcomings of international policy frameworks like the SDGs and explore how policymakers use these voluntary international commitments to guide and prioritize their work in practice, specifically in the context of developing urban areas. To understand these issues and more, we are joined today by two amazing guests, Edward Mashad. Senior Advisor and Current Acting Director with the SDG Lab at UN Geneva, and Dr. Sylvia Krusa, a researcher in urban sociology with the University of Witwatersrand and University of Cape Town in South Africa. Let's dive in. Our first guest today is Edward Mashad Senior Advisor and Acting Director at the SDG Lab at UN Geneva. Edward has over 15 years of experience across policy, donor relations, governance, advocacy, and communications, and has worked with several UN and other international organizations, such as the UN Development Program, the World Health Organization, the Joint UN Program on HIV, and the Green Climate Fund. Edward started his career as a journalist in Canada. He joins us today from Geneva. Thank you for joining us, Edward.
1: Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm really happy to be here. And thanks for inviting us to take part in, in your, your podcast.
0: Of course. The, Edward, the, the SEGs were a high-level commitment made by global leaders. And at the time the goals were made, there was their ample consideration about what it would take to feasibly achieve these goals uh, that were established and whether we could actually achieve them in a 15-year time frame
1: it's a really pertinent question. Uh, I think to start off with it's important to you know give credit to and I guess underscore the magnitude of the sustainable development goals or as we say the SDGs Um, you know the adoption of these goals and the 2030 agenda itself the goals are part of that of that framework really represents nothing less than I would say a historical commitment of you know every single country towards defining not only these very precise set of common objectives in addressing the social, the economic, environmental challenges of our world, but it also highlights that in 2015, I would say the world, we were in a very different place. We were in a very different, um, I would say, spirit towards sustainable development and looking at that 2030 horizon. Uh, So I think that the combination of the goals, the time that, the adoption of the SDGs took place, I think uh, those two factors were were very unique um, because it's never really been done before that every single government, every single country united behind this common political commitment for sustainable development. Um, And I think beyond that political commitment, it's also an agenda for every citizen on the planet to contribute to. Now, having said that, if you look at the timeline, I think the SDGs on the one hand represent yes, it's a super ambitious agenda, but on the other hand, it's really necessary. And I think we at the SDG Lab and, and UN Geneva, where the SDG Lab is based, um, we believe and we, we want to believe and we have to believe that it's, it, it's you know attainable. And this is much, I would think, in the sense of the, the same spirit as the Millennium Development Goals, the precursor kind of known as the, the MDGs, not all eight of these goals were actually achieved, but tremendous and tangible progress was made across many of them during that period from 2000 to 2015, which ultimately set the stage for the SDGs, which kickstarted started in, in 2016. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a timeline that, that seems still far away, but we're just over seven years to the deadline. So I think it's on the one hand, yeah, it's it's attainable, but we really need to turbocharge now our our actions.
0: I'm wondering if you could if you could just elaborate a little bit more on the change in spirit between 2015 and now, and kind of what it was like when they were adopted, and and how global thinking maybe has shifted um, in that time.
1: Well, I think that it it's interesting on we see that the SDGs are, are more important than ever before. If we look at what they represent, if we look at the targets, the specific goals themselves, the, they're, they're extremely timely. Um, but at the same time, the... the I reference this word spirit, and I just think if we look at the, the current geopolitical landscape that we see today, um, we also see because of, of COVID and also... This kind of internal, inward looking, and that you know that doesn't gel well with the SDGs. The SDGs are a global agenda that action on one goal influences other goals, or inaction results in inaction on the other goals. So, I think what was interesting from the COVID pandemic is that from the SDG lens, what we were talking about, we when I say in the United Nations at the SDG lab, is that you have to look at these SDGs through many different perspectives. And COVID showed us that it's not just a health issue. COVID resulted in a social issue, an economic issue, that you couldn't just treat COVID by looking for a vaccine, but you needed to have social, economic measures. You need to find ways to support people who who temporarily lost their jobs or who uh, needed additional care at home. So all of that showed this kind of integrated nature of sustainable development. And the fact that in 2022, we're seeing governments, a number of governments, a number of states, want to turn inwards in terms of their approach, in terms of supporting multilateralism or multilateral cooperation, that kind of is worrisome, especially when we need to have more of an integrated approach, especially when we look at big issues like the climate crisis. So I think that spirit that we saw in 2015, also leading to, to the Paris Agreement, all of that kind of feels like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> For, uh, uh, so I think that's what I, what I mean there is, I don't know if the SDGs, if they were put forward today in 2022, would we receive the same level of support, the same level of enthusiasm that we witnessed back in two thousand and fifteen when they were
0: adopted. That makes total sense, um, and is is also you know concerning because the the pandemic showed us how integrated all of our countries are, and that it, we can't you know just achieve something through through bilateral or or domestic work alone. So, um, on on that note, I think one thing that we'd love to talk about is. Um, the translation of these goals, these high-level goals into implementation of policy on the ground. We have a lot of policymakers in different places um, uh, around the world listening in. Um, And we really are trying to understand, you know, how do actors in Geneva or New York, you know, our our UN centers really think about uh, their relationship and collaboration with states and localities who are implementing on the ground.
1: That's a big question. <laughs> we could probably use the rest of the podcast time to, to to, delve into that. But I think what, in terms of Geneva and New York as, as being two kind of key main hubs of the United Nations, but also there's Vienna, Nairobi, Bangkok, um, uh, Addis, etc. I think what really is important is that the UN provides this multilateral platform for governments and other actors, and I'll get to that in a second, to come together to review progress on SDG implementation. The SDGs themselves, the 2030 Agenda, this is, this is a non-binding framework. Um, so that's important that there are other means and measures for governments and other actors to be held accountable. So one thing that the UN together with, with governments and other actors, civil society, et cetera, academia, one key element of this is this notion of SDG localization. And this is the, the process of, of looking at kind of subnational contexts. And if we think about regions and if we think about cities, particularly cities, megacities around the world that represent countries in terms of population, how cities and regions implement the goals themselves that's really important for ensuring that local challenges and and needs are are, taken into account and that these targets are brought down to to local level, to community level, uh, and ensuring that really that that no one anywhere is is left behind. And that's kind of the key sentence of the 2030 agenda, leaving no one behind. Um, So governments and, and kind of local governments they, they look at the SDGs and they report uh, national reviews, subnational reviews, and also local reviews. And there's an acronym for that. You have the VNR, that's the Voluntary National Review, and then you have the VLR, which is the, the Voluntary Local Review. So again, the UN provides this, this platform, provides a mechanism to to for governments and other actors to 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 highlight their their progress but really importantly is to look at the challenges and not only to just focus on look how great we are and look what we're doing but these are the issues that we're struggling with and are there other people other other SDG implementers that are having the same issues that we have and how can we we go forward together and linked to that next uh, well in July this year um, There's the High Level Political Forum that takes place in New York, it's the the HLPF, another acronym. We like acronyms. Um, And this is the kind of global moment for SDG implementers, governments, civil society to come together and to look at specific SDGs. And there are five SDGs that are under review this year and progress will be reported uh, accordingly. this also helps improve dialogue between, between actors. It also helps to foster learning, going back to that point that I said about not just looking at the successes, but talking about the bottlenecks and, and challenges and how to replicate those good practices. So, really, Geneva and New York and the other UN hubs, we just we just provide that service, the, those hubs to come together uh, for that citizens and can also follow this through the fact that many of these sessions now are hybrid. And that's one of the, the I would say, the positive elements to come out of COVID-19 uh, is that all of this, these, these fora have been opened up um, so anyone can follow and, and, and listen in.
0: Amazing. Um, and I think one other thing that we were reflecting on, our other guest um, is actually a, a local implementer in Cape Town. Um, and some local governments need uh, additional support and funding. And, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the role of um, these hubs as a way to kind of connect with uh, funding and other innovative processes to help countries that maybe are facing challenges, especially on the, the financing side.
1: Yeah, on the financing front, um, I think that's 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 kind of the... Kind of the key ingredient, if we to look at SDG implementation, is to ensure that there are ample resources to implement this ambitious agenda. In terms of the from the UN side, of course, uh, I mean member states themselves they are responsible for implementing the SDGs. Uh, they, I think that's often um, I've I've had to correct people on different on different occasions. It's like the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Well. Not really. We we helped bring them together. There was that global call to action to see the SDGs come to fruition, but implementation really rests with with member states. So ultimately, the the funding, the the um, implementation lies with with governments uh, and countries around the world. But again, the UN, what the UN provides is this is this check and balance platform, this ability for governments to come together, like which will happen soon with the high-level political forum to, to review progress and then from, for other kind of non-state actors to have the opportunity to look at the progress that is being presented and to, to raise questions and also to present their own kind of parallel progress reports. We see that quite often as well, that there are international organizations and civil society organizations that, that will do that um, in tandem, that they will provide a parallel report. So all of that together, while it's not, I would say, a financial contribution, it does help to increase accountability, help increase uh, transparency, and also ensures that we have enough stakeholders and different actors in the room virtually or in presence um, to to really assess progress on on the STGs.
0: Definitely. And on that note of progress, we have most recently uh, received a report from the UN Office of Intergovernmental Support and Coordination for Sustainable Development in 2021 that said that we are currently not on track to meet our global goals um, in the remaining eight and a half year timeline. Um, and so we were wondering um, kind of what, in your view, are the main causes of this delay? You know, are they political? Are they financial? Um Is it because of this inward turning that you mentioned, um, or is it purely just that it's going to just take longer than we thought, given the state of the world?
1: (laughs) Yeah, all all, uh, important points. Um, I think there are several reasons why progress is mixed, and the United Nations, the the, the UN Secretary General, and other officials have been very outspoken in terms of, of the challenges. And I think for your listeners, it's also important... Um, that we clarify that even before the start of COVID-19, if we want to use that as kind of a as kind of a, a timeline, a marker, progress on the SDGs it was already varied. You had different regional um, progress levels uh, within countries and on specific goals. And when you have such a broad framework of 17 goals and over 160 different indicators, targets, etc., of course you're going to have a, a lot of variation. Um, But the impact of the pandemic has clearly reversed and stalled progress. Um, And I think despite some data gaps that we're having at national and subnational levels, the latest information that the UN has put out, and and this is a report that that we can share also in the the show notes, is that years or even decades of development progress have been been halted um, or reversed. And that is worrisome. If we look at just... Just take the example of global health. If we look at the impact of COVID, health systems have been overwhelmed um, because of the pandemic for two and a half years. We have this ongoing disruption of essential health services. Um, and then if we just look at the fact around the goal number one of the SDGs, uh, no poverty, there's an estimated additional 75 to 95 million people who will live in extreme poverty in 2022 compared to pre-pandemic levels. Billions of children significantly missed out on schooling. Women also have also been disproportionately affected by the social economic fallout of the pandemic, struggling with lost jobs and also the increased burdens of unpaid care and also domestic violence. So all of these things really just just bring progress into question. And if we just go a little bit beyond COVID and we look at violent conflicts taking place, that's also undermining SDG progress. Refugees were at the highest absolute number on record in 2021, and forced displacement has continued to occur and even grow. And these numbers are only increasing with the situation with the war in Ukraine, creating one of the largest refugee crises of modern times. So I think all of that together just um, does make it um, very worrisome in terms of progress for the SDGs. And then, if we look at the climate crisis, you know, based on current national commitments, global emissions are set to increase, not decrease, over the current decade, which could lead to a climate catastrophe unless governments, the private sector, and civil society really work together to to, to take immediate action. Um, so all of that, I mean, that doesn't paint a very rosy, nice picture. Um, so to get the SDGs back on track and to keep the, the goal of the Paris Agreement alive, we really need to capitalize, I think, on the opportunity that, that COVID showed us in terms of how we can adapt lifestyles, how to adopt low-carbon, resilient, and inclusive development um, to conserve natural resources, and also to transform our food systems, to create better jobs, make this transition to a greener economy that's more inclusive and just. And the SDGs really give us that platform. So I think it's it's time for, the, for world leaders and governments to prioritize the SDGs. We have them. It's there. The, the, the 2030 agenda was adopted and, and put in force in 2016. So now it's really important to to turbocharge their implementation. And as you said, we we have some eight years um, to get this done. So I think, you know, time is, is of the essence.
0: Absolutely. It is a big to-do list, but good thing we have the whole world to get it done <laughs> together. Um, and I also, I'm just hoping in the time remaining that you can give us a little bit about the SDG lab and um, tell us kind of, you know, it, as I understand it, the goal is to really find those points of collaboration. Um, um, and I was hoping maybe you can give us a, a story or an example of um, something that's come out of the lab that, that gives you hope that we will, um, you know, move toward, we're, we're continuing to move towards those goals.
1: So the SDG Lab, um, we've, we were created a few years ago as an initiative within the United Nations Office at Geneva, or UN Geneva, together with an international non-governmental organization called the International Institute for Sustainable Development, or IISD. And the Lab, uh, these, these two kind of organizations, on the one hand, the UN and the ISD, looked to see how could we better utilize the very rich diverse community of, of sustainable development actors in Geneva, the, the kind of the home of, of, uh, of the UN in Europe. How could we, we tap into the tremendous amount of knowledge and expertise that is based there? Because you have a lot of technical organizations as well, from the World Health Organization to UN refugees to the World Trade Organization plus hundreds of non-governmental organizations and civil society organizations. So how could this this rich dynamic ecosystem actually be better utilized to support governments and member states to implement the SDGs? Uh, In Geneva, you have a presence of over 100 and I think 79, 180 governments, and they're represented through permanent missions to the UN or to the World Trade Organization. So you have this actual presence of of member states. So this perfect ecosystem um, really provides the opportunity to, to work together and to experiment in a kind of a laboratory way for SDG solutions. The SDG lab itself, we don't have programs, we don't implement, we're not represented at country level, but what we do is really tap into what we call the Geneva ecosystem and try to make those connections and unexpected partnerships happen for SDG implementation in countries where, where it's it's needed. Um, so an example of a collaboration and a partnership, I think, which really speaks to the work of the lab is, is one that we helped nurture back in 2019 on sustainable finance. Uh, financing, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, financing is kind of this key part of the equation. Without substantial resources, the SDGs will not be implemented. And no one actor can do that. No public sector, no government can finance the the requirements to implement the SDGs. So that's where you need to have private sector investment and that scale to meet this uh, huge need of uh, the 2030 agenda. So one of our roles within the SDG lab and in the Geneva community was to kind of see, okay, we have on the one hand, and Geneva, maybe for your listeners who are not familiar, Geneva um, is kind of divided into two sides. you have the left bank of Geneva and you have the right bank. the left bank uh, I'm referring to the lake, the left bank basically we have all of the the, the financial center. you have banks, investment funds, uh, family offices, private wealth offices, etc. And on the right side of the bank you have the international Geneva, which accounts the UN, civil society, governments, foundations, etc. So how do we have these these two sides of Lake Geneva actually physically meet? How do we bring them together? Because we've heard from the sustainable development communities that we need financing for the SDGs. And then on the private finance side, there's this demand for, well, how do we invest in sustainable finance? How do we see the SDGs become a pipeline of investable deals that we can present to our clients? So our our work with other partners in Geneva was actually to create this initiative called Building Bridges, so playing on the fact that there is this infamous bridge that connects both sides of of the left bank and the right bank to actually make tangible contributions and partnerships for the SDGs. So this Building Bridges movement has now manifested into a a week. Uh, The first edition in terms of a conference took place in 2019. In 2020, we had to put it on hold because of the restrictions related to COVID, but we were able to come back in late last year and we had the second edition of of Building Bridges. The third edition will take place in October and this partnership really highlights that you need to have a rich and diverse group of people come together and you also need to have the commitment and the endurance to see this partnership flourish. I think many times when we speak about collaborations and and partnerships, it takes a lot of time and it requires a lot of effort to to nurture this. And very few organizations have that as their mandate, but we do at the STG lab. So it's really important for us to look for these opportunities and to experiment to be that laboratory, as I referred to earlier. So I think that's an, a good example of, um, of a partnership that we helped flourish. And right now, we, we're very much still involved. We, we're part of the, the different levels of governments to bring the week together. But there's an entire, um, I would say, there's an entire community that's now taking it forward and bringing it into other dimensions and other angles that, that um, are really promising to see.
0: Wow, that's amazing! I I love this, and it, it gives me so much hope for uh, seeing what can be fostered in the next eight years. So, um, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but thank you so much for um, joining us today and sharing your expertise with our listeners. I know we all appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much for the time that you've um, allocated, that you've given us to to use your platform. That's communication is so important. And also just putting out that message that ultimately the SDGs are really about every single person doing something within their own scope, within their own level, um, to to contribute to making these 17 goals uh, come to life. So thank you again.
0: We have now hopefully laid the groundwork to understand the international environment and ethos that developed the SDGs where progress and collaborations are still happening. We will now pivot to cities where many of the sustainable development goals are being implemented on a daily basis through partnerships between local governments and communities. Our next guest has been supporting cities in South Africa to do just that. Dr. Sylvia Krusa is an urban sociologist who is a senior researcher at the South African Research Chair in Spatial Analysis and City Planning at the School of Architecture and Planning of the University of Witterwatersund and research associate with the African Center for Cities at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Dr. Krusa has conducted extensive research on urban planning, politics, and governance through the lens of housing, land, urban infrastructure, and mobility, with a particular focus on the localization of global urban development goals in African cities. She has published widely on this work in major international journals, as as well as three co-edited books. She is currently working on the ERC-funded comparative research project, Making Africa Urban, the Transscalar Politics of Large-Scale Urban Development. Dr. Krusa, thank you for joining us thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation. Amazing. Um, before we jump into the sdg focus goals, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your own journey to be studying the SDGs and kind of what um, has motivated and interested you academically about the topic.
2: Yeah. Um, it's been a few years now, actually. So my work on the SDG started when I was working as a researcher with the African Center for Cities at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Um, and they had been part of a um, kind of a pilot project in the run-up to the adoption of the SDG. So this was prior to 2015. Um, and that project looked at actually uh, seeing to what extent some of the specifically urban indicators that were proposed for SDG 11, to what extent the data was available at a city level to monitor those targets and indicators, uh, and to what extent they were appropriate and feasible. Um, so that was a project that the ACC was involved in, uh, in the run-up to the adoption of the SDGs. Um, and it consisted of a strong collaboration with the city of Cape Town. Um, and then, um, kind of follow-up from that initial project was then a wider comparative international project which looked at the actual implementation of the SDGs post 2015. So I was part of that project um, and I had the opportunity to work as an embedded researcher within the city of Cape Town and kind of track the extent to which the SDGs were being uh, implemented and the whole process uh, in preparation for that. So that was a unique opportunity um, and then related to that work, uh, I led on a number of other projects looking at um, data collection for SEG monitoring in Angola and Mozambique. I worked on the policy level with global uh, organizations at the UN level, with UCLG, the United Cities and Local Governments. Um, so it's a lot of different projects that, that actually uh, uh, contributed to my interest in that. And it's it's been really interesting to to really be at the coal face uh, of that work, working together with with cities uh, and kind of bridging both the research and the policy space.
0: Definitely, um, wow, that's amazing and such great experience. Um, having worked with these cities, um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about kind of the the development of the scgs and and it sounds like there was some pre-thought going into whether whether it was actually feasible to implement on the ground but what are some of the the challenges that a local that localities like um cape town uh faced when presented with these you know huge global goals um and then uh were were asked to implement them more locally um and and how did how do cities kind of overcome that
2: yeah. So in comparison to the, to the previous goals, the millennium development goals, the sustainable development goals apply to all countries across the world. Um, and they were designed and conceived in a much more comprehensive, uh, way. So they do represent quite a useful and comprehensive framework, uh, and an ambitious framework, uh, to achieving sustainable development. Uh, but of course at the local level, uh, I mean, these these universal goals don't land at a kind of blank slate. There's so much that is already going on. There's so many daily challenges that local governments face. Uh, so when you look at these universal goals, to a certain extent, a lot of what the goals aim to to do and to achieve are things that is or are already happening, that local governments are already working on. If we look at basic service delivery, um, but I think what the SDGs do is on the one hand represent a useful tool uh, uh, that is comprehensive and that also shows the extent to which certain goals are interrelated, the importance of looking both, not just at economic, but also social and and environmental development. Um, But of course, the resources that are present at a local level to, um, to achieve such goals, to implement them, Uh, to monitor their implementation, to report on them, and do that in the kind of comprehensive way that the SDGs foresee, I mean, that is a major, that's a major challenge.
0: Now, when the Sustainable Development Goals started being implemented in 2015, um, were cities prepared for the additional capacity needs that came with that implementation? Or were they really trying to do more with the same amount of resources?
2: I mean, I think key key to the SDGs and to other global uh, goals and frameworks is that, I mean, they shouldn't be seen as an add-on. They shouldn't be seen as something that governments must now do on top of what they are already doing. Uh, it should be seen as a benchmark, as a tool to kind of galvanize uh, awareness around sustainable development, resources, um and some cities have been able to do that in a very effective way so really taking the goals and seeing okay how can we use these to actually maximize what we are already doing um and to to achieve our goals in a more integrated way and to get more support for that um to raise more awareness and and it's also something that can i mean there's different ways in which cities can use it for to work for themselves uh it's also a way to position the city as a as 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 a city that is globally connected that is aware of these kind of goals um so cities can can use the the goals also in a way that works for them and that can actually uh contribute and strengthen the work that they are already doing Uh, but that of course requires first of all knowledge of the goals and the capacity and expertise to um, to capitalize on them to activate them um, and to 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 trigger action and obviously that's the kind of capacity that not many cities have specif- specifically in the context of Africa um, so in the work that I've been doing for instance in Cape Town which is quite a well-resourced city which has a history of engaging uh, with global uh, organizations, that's part of a number of international city networks and alliances. For these type of cities, it's not so difficult to to engage with global goals in that kind of way. But obviously, the same does not apply for much smaller cities, cities that are less resourced, uh, that have uh, different levels of capacity. Um, and I think that's that's the big challenge to make sure that those cities are not are not left behind.
0: Definitely. So um, we've talked a bit about kind of resource constraints and capacity constraints, but I'm wondering if there are any other um, challenges that specifically emerging low income and developing um, countries and cities um, are facing um, in trying to implement these goals and things that maybe the international community could could be more aware of um, and uh, will help us reach the goals by 2030. That's a very tricky question, because on the one hand, of
2: course, we need more resources. We need more funding. If we look at some of the estimates for the the amount of uh, investment that is needed to achieve the goals, I mean, there's estimates that range from five to seven trillion US dollars a year to achieve the goals. Um, and, and that's one thing. And we do need investment in infrastructure um, and in kind of the... Uh, the hard infrastructure uh, to achieve the goals. But at the same time, um, there's also a lot of politics that comes into play. And what we see specifically in the African context is that although cities are key to achieving the SDGs uh, by virtue of of, of many, many people living in cities, uh, by virtue of cities representing, really concentrating not just Uh, large amounts of population but also economy Um, these are often very contested places and cities as local governments do not always have the mandate uh, required to set out their own policy goals uh, and to implement uh, their policies in a way that they that they see fit Um, so although there's a lot of attention now to the needs that exist at cities. Uh, There's a lot of even development assistance that's going now to funding urban contexts, but these same urban contexts do not always have the power uh, to channel those funds uh, effectively because the mandate for certain areas of of service delivery does not lie with them and lies with higher levels of government. So the, the international community needs to be very aware of, how those contexts are structured and where best to channel the funding um and i think it's really important there to 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 bring different actors together
0: definitely so we've talked a lot around the role of cities in um development and uh and moving towards the sdgs and I guess one question is, would you say that, that the focus on on urban development um, is what we'd call, quote unquote, the traditional approach? And um, is it, uh, how would you describe the traditional approach or the, the top down approach coming from Geneva and New York and, you know, the UN writ large? And uh, do you think that that is um, helpful for urban areas? Well, the focus on
2: the urban as such is not necessarily traditional. It's actually relatively recent. Uh, so the whole fact that a standalone urban goal was included as part of the 17 SDGs, um, that is actually the result of, um, a very strong lobby of local governments, of local government organizations to really remind the international community of the importance of local actors of cities for meeting um, uh, sustainable development goals. And this goes back to kind of the lobby that started out uh, uh, around the the Paris climate agreement. Um, So in that sense, the focus on the urban is relatively new, um, but in terms of the kind of tools that are used to channel funding is still very much organized around, you know, transfers of development assistance from the global north to the global south. Um, And that is something that I think is still needed, uh, especially when we look at, you know, uh, emergency contexts or humanitarian assistance. Uh, But I think we need to start exploring more kind of homegrown approaches and tools and ways to uh, to generate funding to to finance local development, particularly at the urban
0: level. Definitely. I mean, I'm reminded we actually had uh, the former mayor of Quito, Ecuador, come and speak to our class. And he was talking about how, um, you know, most funding availability is coming from two to national governments and that the availability to urban centers from the international community is um not always present and, and dependent on politics, so um, I totally right. hear that. Um, so I am, you've done a lot of research about different approaches to implementing SDGs at a city level, so I'm wondering if you could kind of describe uh, top-down, bottom-up, and lateral, kind of what the differences are, who the actors are, um, and what the benefits of a lateral approach are.
2: Now, so what we see in the context of Africa, in the past few years, basically since the adoption of the SDGs is either countries where you have a very strong and high level commitment at the highest level of national governments. So at the presidential level, prime minister's office, uh, pledging and committing to the importance of of SDG implementation and creating institutional structures to enable uh, uh, achieving these goals. So that's and this countries such as Kenya, for instance, or or Rwanda uh, that represent this this kind of top down approach. And then on the other hand, you have contexts where it's more of a bottom up approach where you have local governments that kind of take the lead and that start exploring ways to to localize the SDGs and to come up with um, uh, with approaches and plans to to do so Um, often. These kind of bottom-up approaches uh, result from some kind of partnership or support from either international organizations, UN agencies, uh, or other kind of partnerships uh, with global city networks. Um, and both of these approaches are very important. I mean, you need the high-level commitment at the national government level um, for the goals. At the same time, you also need the action to be grounded at the local level. But the thing is, it's not a kind of either or. You need both uh, because at the end of the day, local government is only able to do so much and national government is only able to do so much. Uh, And there's intermediary levels of government as well, the provincial government or regional governments. So it's very important to have a kind of coordinating structure that is able to coordinate these actions uh, across different levels of government, knowing that each level of government comes with its own mandate, resources, capacity. Um, so there's a need to kind of bring that together. So I've called that kind of a sideways approach to tackle SDG localization, um, and that is able to really uh, facilitate and, um, uh, and bring out what each level of government has to offer so that's kind of also what is called in in, in international policy speak kind of this whole uh, or all of government approach uh but at the same time and people also refer to this as all of society approaches it's also not just government that can that can do the work so you need an integrated approach that also brings in the collaboration of other actors in society such as the private sector or academia or civil society
0: amazing um and then just really quickly I wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of how things have progressed um since COVID-19 and how that has impacted um localities ability to both collaborate and and implement.
2: Yeah, I think I think the global pandemic has really I mean has had an impact an ongoing impact that I think we still we haven't really fully uh grasped uh but i think unfortunately some of the progress that had already been made has really been set back and and in some cases reversed i mean obviously if we look at the field of health education uh employment and economic growth uh both the global economic slowdown as well as local uh lockdowns have really have put so many things on hold Uh, have deviated funding that perhaps was allocated for certain programs and it had to be spent on emergency expenditures. Um, So that has really impacted, I think, the ability of cities to to make progress. At the same time, sometimes crisis also makes you more creative. Uh, So we do see examples of partnerships, of initiatives at the community level, by civil society or private sector that have emerged uh, in response to the crisis that will be very important to build on going forward.
0: Wonderful. Is there any example of that that you've seen that you'd like to share? I think what we've seen,
2: particularly in in civil society uh, in South Africa, there are so many examples of uh, partnerships that emerged uh, really at the neighborhood level of just neighbors helping each other out uh, in the area of uh, also uh, tracking, community tracking. This was in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, but also things like food supplies, sending things from one side of the city to the other, between neighborhoods. Um, so I really think it, it kind of awakened this uh, a sense of solidarity um, and, uh, and showing that actually so much is possible um, and that everybody has a role to play uh, to, to contribute. Um, but once again, often the tendency is then once the problems are over, then to just go back to the to the to the old way of doing things. So it will be very important to to continue building on that.
0: Definitely, I hope that um, all our cities are able to keep that communal energy going as we all move to try to adopt these global goals. Exactly. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and um, your expertise. This was such a fascinating conversation, and I hope that um, we will be able to celebrate reaching the goals by 2030. I hope so, too. <laughs> and that's all for our show today on the Oxford Policy Pod. Thank you for joining us. Our show today was produced and hosted by me, Livy Bia, with support from Reed Liesk. Reed and I are the executive producers of season four. There are a few more episodes in season four, so stay tuned and thanks for listening.